Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Ali McMillan and I'm a Methodist deacon and I'm currently based at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. I'm also a member of the Methodist Diaconal Order, which is a religious order, which brings a sense of rhythm and wholeness to my life. Before I trained for ministry, I taught religious education and ethics at a secondary school in Oxfordshire, and I am really passionate about coming alongside people where they are as they discover God at work in their lives. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape, and today I'm really pleased to introduce Neil Cooper. Neil has been Director of Church Action on Poverty since 1997 and has been responsible for piloting a range of new approaches to anti-poverty work in the UK and running high profile campaigns on asylum destitution, debt and food poverty. He's passionate about creating space for people struggling against poverty, the opportunity to speak truth to power and to reclaim dignity, agency and power together. Church Action on Poverty's latest initiative is Your Local Pantry, a network of nearly 100 member-run food clubs hosted by churches and other local partners, which offer dignity, choice and hope to more than 20,000 member households across the UK. Uh, Neil, we're so pleased that you've been able to join us uh, today. Welcome. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, well, we know that politics in the pulpit can sometimes be a bit of a contentious topic. Uh, we believe it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. Uh, so I wonder when you hear arguments saying that politics shouldn't be in our pulpits, how do you respond to them? Uh, I, I go back to um, something Jim Wallace from the States. Is, uh, I've heard him say many times. Um, he, as a student, uh, one mad evening went through the, the Bible and um, marked up every every reference to poverty and the, the political engagement, uh, mainly poverty, um, in the Bible, and then spent the whole night cutting them out. Um, and if you know, if you cut out all the references to poverty in the Bible, the, the Bible falls apart quite literally. Um, so I don't know what uh, what Bible people are reading if they think that there's, there's no place for, for politics. It's shot through with uh references to poverty to social justice to injustice uh to calling out oppression um to you know blessing the poor and to giving woes to the rich uh and th and that's very clear in jesus's ministry as well so i i think that's fundamental uh to my understanding of what christian faith is about that there's always a link between what we believe and how we are in the world, including the world of, of politics. Well, thank you so much for that. And I love that idea that the Bible falls apart if we take, try and take politics out of it. I think that's a really helpful metaphor to get people, well, no, even a metaphor, <laughs> literally. Uh, so uh, thank you. Uh, well, each week I ask my JPIC colleagues for a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we might want to be keeping an eye, our eye on in the world this week. And some of their suggestions are, uh, the Illegal Migration Bill, which is making its way through the Lords, with the Lords putting forward four amendments to it. Uh, the Court of Appeal has rejected the Rwanda plan because two of the three judges deemed Rwanda as a not safe country. And there have been riots in France due to the death of a teenager at the hands of police. Uh, so just some of the things going on in the world. And I, I wonder from your context, Neil, what are some of the uh, key justice issues or political events that you would want us to be making note of? 
for me, there's there's the always the underlying issue of uh, of poverty. I mean, you would expect me from church action on poverty, but but the impact that's having on so many people's lives. The the cost of living crisis is the latest uh, version of that. Um, so this you know topical news is about mortgage and interest rates going up still further. That's having an impact clearly on people, not just with mortgages, but people that are renting, whose landlord has a, a, a you know a rent to um, mortgage, um, and that's just the latest aspect of the cost of living crisis. Um, so I think it's it's um, one thing after another where people's budgets are being squeezed. Um, on top of the energy crisis, on top of the, the cost of food. Um, we've heard uh, Trussell Trust had to hand out over 3 million food parcels, a record number. Um, and for me, it's not just the big numbers. It's the knowing the impact that has on individuals, people I know, uh, the stress that it has on people's lives, uh, which don't often get into the news and, and I think that's something we might touch on um, it's not just about money it's it's the wider impact uh, stress everyday stress about where you're going to pay which bill you're going to pay what thing you're not going to do uh, what opportunity you have to deny your children uh, what food you might not have to eat this week or today what even just the quality of the food that people are having to cut back on um, that really impacts on people's daily lives and, and social lives. Um, I heard this week of uh, somebody saying, I can't invite people around to my house anymore because I can't afford to give them any food when they come. So people then get isolated. Mm. Um, uh, all of those things kind of impinge on people's daily lives and quality of life um, and then I think for the asylum issue absolutely it's you know, the, the poorest the most vulnerable people in society that have very little come here with almost nothing or, or in many cases literally nothing and are then treated as as pariahs as people that are unwelcome um, anybody that's had any experience of the, the asylum system or, or spent time with asylum seekers, many of whom end up destitute by design, by the system. It's horrendous what our society does to people who are coming here because they need uh, safety and shelter. And uh, yeah, that's that's something that does weigh heavily uh, for any of us that, that have any contact with people in the, in the asylum system. Thank you so much. And uh, things there that I think uh, touch on all of our lives, really, in, in one way or another. So, so thank you. Uh, well, our readings for this Sunday, the 9th of July, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the readings for this Sunday, the 9th of July, are Psalm 145, verses 8 to 14, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12, Romans 7, 15 to 25a, and Matthew 11, 16 to 19 and 25 to 30. So with our metaphorical Bibles uh, open in one hand, uh, let's uh, uh, 
turn to these and see where we want to start. Uh, so Neil, I wonder if there's a particular passage or perhaps theme that you wanted to start us with as we begin our conversation. I think what's interesting is some of the themes that run across the readings. So I think that's that's the approach I'll, I'll, I'll go with. But I think starting with the Romans reading, um, it's one I'm sure I studied uh, when I was doing probably even O-level, that tells me how, how old I am, O-level <laughs> religious studies. Uh, very familiar. For the, for, mm. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Uh, for I do not the good I want to do, but the evil I do not, uh, this I keep on doing. It's, it's, it really tugs at my heartstrings whenever I hear that passage. Um, and it resonates so strongly with me. You know, I think with all of us, there are things we'd want to do. There are injustices we see in the world that we want to do something about. Um, for me, it's not actually about the work. It's, it's climate change. I, I don't want to be continuing to pump out uh, carbon, um, but it's you know it's so hard it's so hard uh, to change my lifestyle uh, to do the good, yeah. and I no I carry on doing what is is not good. Uh, you know I still have a, a a petrol car, I still have a gas boiler, mm -hmm. um, and. For me, that's about the structures and systems that prevent us doing what we know is the right thing to do. Um, and the culture, that we live in a society where doing the wrong thing is so often the easiest thing to do. And doing the right thing is just so hard and uh, so against the stream. Uh, and that always resonates with me. Um, it's not because I, you know, I'm an evil person. None of us, you know, we don't ever like to think that. Yeah. But but we continue to pump out carbon through what we do, and uh, and you know, we know all of us now know that's just not going to be sustainable, um, and that's true of so many issues. Um, that that as a society we carry on doing the wrong thing, even though we know it's not it's not what we would desire to do, um, yeah. and I often think how how is it that we 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 get into that situation we talk about wicked problems uh the idea that problems it's really hard to find the solution mm. uh, no, there's no one thing that will just be an easy fix to this uh, and i think this is kind of reflects that um both of us as individuals it's very easy to kind of individualize this but as you know as a church as a society we want to do good but somehow it never quite cuts the mustard uh, you know, we want to live in a society that doesn't have poverty, but we can't ever seem to there. No. Um, and, uh, you know, we could have a long conversation about the nature of sin and evil. But I, for me, that's the reality of it. It's not some big external thing out there. It's just the way our complicated lives and, and the systems that we're part of and the institutions that end up having so much power just get in the way. Yeah, yeah, I there's a d deep truth in it, isn't there? That this this desire to do good and, as you say, to do the right thing, uh, but our ability to put that into interaction, either as individuals or you know, or on a much bigger level, always seems so much harder to to actually live out. Um, 
So I, I guess in in your role and part of the work that you do, you you might have some tips for us about how we might be, how we might make some choices which which are um, doing putting that desire into action. Well, again, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> about I, half an hour. Half an hour. Um, I, I think for, at a very personal level, um, it starts with relationship. It starts with. Um, I wouldn't say finding out about poverty, but meeting people where they are mm. um, and understanding the world through the lens of uh, people who are struggling. Mm. Uh, and I think that's one of the challenges that quite often decisions are made uh, about about things by people that don't have that first hand encounter mm -hmm. and therefore make the wrong decisions. Um, and that's true in in churches. Uh, we've we've done research over the past two or three years looking at where churches have been closed. Uh, taking Greater Manchester as an example, and churches have been disproportionately closed in in lower income neighbourhoods. Not because you no know, the church as a whole doesn't want to tackle poverty, but it's made decisions for other reasons because it's you know, the buildings couldn't be repaired, the congregations looked like they were struggling. Um, but the consequence is those communities then feel that they're they're left behind, and you know not left behind by everybody else, but now left behind by the churches. Um, so I think it, it's it's facing up to the truths that actually we need to look at things through the lens of the people and communities that are struggling, and to do that we have to know people, we have to hear their stories, we have to take them seriously. And then say, okay, we're going to change. Um, as a result, um, what we maybe do as as individuals or as congregations, but what we do as a church as a whole has to change. Yeah. Um, and more broadly, I'd say that's a society, um, and that's a responsibility for all of us um, to sit in other people's shoes and then see how society needs to be, so that people in those situations can live lives to the full. Mm. Um, and exercise our collective voice about that. Um, mm. I think one of the biggest challenges is the you know, a belief that we can actually make a difference. And it comes back, I think, to that reading that you know, we just don't think we can do it. It's you know, too complicated. There are too many things that make it seem just too hard. Um, and we never quite get to it. So it, it's just Everyone's on a journey, so I don't. I don't ever say you know there's a there's an easy answer, but finding out in your situation where where people are struggling, and not trying to solve the problem for them, but but getting alongside and being in solidarity with them, um, and that's not that's not easy in itself. But that's that's and that touches onto the other readings, I think, um, where where we go for our hope. Um, and where we find good news. Oh, well, I love her. I love a, a beautiful segue like that. So, so shall we? Shall we turn to some of those other readings with with all of that in mind from that Romans reading around, um, you know, the challenges of doing right. But I love that you you kind of said that actually need to believe that we can make a difference. So, uh, so where would you like to take us next? Um, so the psalm, um, the 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 beginning and the end of the psalm the lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love 
And the Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts all who are bowed down. Mm. So the first bit is we constantly blame ourselves and you know sit in judgment. Um, and actually, that's not what God's like. God is you know it's compassionate to all of us. He doesn't he doesn't get angry when we do the wrong thing. Um, he just he just loves us and um, understands. Of course he understands. He, God, uh, understands how hard it is um, and looks with compassion and particularly looks with compassion and love on those who are uh, bowed down or, you know, one way of putting it, those who are the least in society, those who feel most put upon. Mm. Um, you know, God lifts those people up in particular and that for me is always a source of, of hope um that nobody is too lowly for god to care about them and therefore for us to care about them um and that that sense of coming to a situation with compassion and love is something which you know is is something all of us should be looking to do in a society where it's so easy to, you know, respond in anger and judgment, and um, you know, find find the person to blame, um, and I see that I say sadly in my you know my social media feed from other Christians that just the message is always about judging other people for X, Y, and Z. That's mm. not the God I see in this um, here. Um, it's it's so much more generous and um forgiving mm. yes and it, it strikes me as you were talking there that you know this psalm particularly as you say talks about how god um particularly upholds those who are downtrodden or, or bowed down in the version that i have here um but as you say compassion on all that he's made so even those that we might struggle with or those who are making choices which are increasing the the poverty of others God still loves and has compassion on those people. That's quite a challenging message, I think, for us to hear, isn't it? That um, it's, it's, in some ways it's easier to um, to get with the message where it's about coming alongside those who uh, who are having a particularly difficult time in life, those who are particularly vulnerable in society. Um, but it just strikes me as I read this that there's a message in it that God also loves those who are having a great time in life and who are using their wealth and power in ways which um, are hurting others. And I, that takes me straight to um, the work we've done with Poverty Truth Commission. Mm. Uh, in I've, I've been involved in, in Salford and in Manchester, bringing together people that are struggling, uh, struggling with poverty, hard lives, lots of experience and insight uh, to share with people who are in positions of power and responsibility in big organisations in, you know, in the city. Um, council, NHS, housing associations, and so on. And actually, in that encounter, realising, and not just me, but the, the people struggling against poverty, realising the humanity of the people who are having to make those decisions, and that they're struggling, and that they have a story about why they got into doing that, which was that they wanted, the same, going back to the first reading, they wanted to do good, and struggle now that what they hear is their organisations are not doing good, are actually doing harm 
in some cases to, to people in poverty. Um, and actually, it was amazing in those situations that the, you know, the, the people in poverty had every reason to be angry. One of the issues was about the council in Salford sending bailiffs round. And they weren't angry. They understood the council has to collect council tax. Uh, and the guy who was running it, Steve, was so confused in a workshop because they weren't angry with him, even though he said, I'm the one that sent the bailiffs around. They said, no, you've got a job to do. We understand. We know we need the council tax collected because we rely on the services. We just want to help you do your job better and understand why the systems that you set up don't work for us. And it was such a beautiful moment where the roles were reversed. It was, the, you know, the people that were struggling against poverty were showing compassion and understanding. The, yeah. the very people that had actually created them so much pain. Yeah. Um, and that was a moment of um, a joy for me yeah. um, and, and some blessing in a sense. Um, and out of that, so much changed. Um, yeah. That sounds like an incredibly powerful encounter. Um, and as you say, that kind of switching of power in a, in a sense, uh, in in that relationship. Um, uh, and it takes us back to where you started almost, talking about, about relationships. Um, and that's what we're called into. So um, it's a wonderful example. Thank you so much. Um, anything else in that uh, psalm that you wanted to just pull out for us? Um not in the psalm, but I, I was then going to go on to, to, to the Matthew reading because this is another lovely segue. Uh, this is where I feel, I, I feel that these readings really do work together. Um, and the bit in, in Matthew, um, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Again, it's, it's Jesus turning, you know, turning the wisdom of the world on its head. And yeah. saying it's not the people that society thinks as wise and learned, and you know the people that we turn to for the answers to everything. The truth's been hidden from them. They're not the people that are going to come up with the answers here, um, and that's why he got himself in trouble, wasn't it? Because they were the they were the rich and the powerful, and they didn't like to hear that message that you're not right here. Um, the people that we need to listen to are the little children, you know, the people in society who we think, what have they got to say? What have little children got to teach us? And I I treat in this passage, little children, it's the people in society who we think have nothing to say, um, who are the ones that actually reveal the hidden truths about society and the wisdom that um, Jesus always uncovers in a situation um, most often not by giving the answer himself but just by pulling it out to a question from the person he's talking to and so often he's talking to the people who are uh not the worldly wise the people who are viewed as nothing uh, or ignored or infantilized um so coming back to the little children so many people in our society are are treated as children they're not treated as adults, even when they are adults. They're treated as, you know, uh, people that we've got to, to um, look down on and care for them, maybe, yeah. but not look to them for wisdom. No. Um, no. 
and I love that. I just love the way uh, Jesus messes with all the conventional ideas of you know where we find wisdom and truth and good news um, and hope, um, and just tosses the whole thing up upside down um, in very gentle ways. Reminds me of my my favourite quote from uh, John Caputo, which is, uh, "The kingdom of God is uh, as mad as any uh, hatter's party." You know, this kind of topsy turvy uh, kingdom, uh, where yeah, as you say, all the values are just sort of turned on their head that we understand. And um, and it, I think you then get why the disciples had such trouble understanding what he was saying. <laughs> like, are you serious? You know. Everybody knows who's the wise and the learned. You know, it's the it's the, the Pharisees and you know the Sadducees. They've spent years and years learning the wisdom, and that's and you're saying they 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 haven't got the wisdom. You're nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and he no, he wasn't nuts. He was he was well, he was who he was. Um, but it's so hard to, to actually understand that and, and really, really take that to heart and, and live with that truth that the the things we're told are the wisdom of the world just is not. Mm. And the learned have lots of, you know, lots of books, read lots of books, um, but that doesn't make them... Uh, Truly wise. Um, yes. Yeah, and it's it's so it's so true today, still, isn't it? You know, where do we turn to for wisdom? Where do we turn to for those who we think we're going to have the answers? Are those kind of still those traditional places of people who have an education or have power or status uh, in society? Um, and it and it. It strikes me that it goes back to what you were saying before about actually, um, you know, whose voices do we hear? Do we listen to those, um, as you were saying, who are infantilised, the, the children of our society? Do we hear their stories and their voices and the wisdom that they have uh, to bring to us? And, and the thing that has kept me going in this job for 25 years is the inspiration I get from the people I work alongside, the people I've, I've actually had the privilege to to know um who are struggling with incredibly difficult lives uh, mm. as a result of, of poverty and disability and um, many other issues in their lives um wayne who um i've known for 25 years uh lives in worthing most people think worthing's a, you know, a, a nice affluent bit of uh, the southeast, which it is, but there's plenty of poverty uh, hidden in Worthing. And Wayne has spent 25 years with all the struggles he's had against poverty, uh, you know, fighting a lone fight to say, actually, there is poverty in Worthing, and organised two or three local poverty hearings, and just persisted, mm -hmm. and is now working with us, um, with, with JP on the next, the next campaign that we'll be launching soon. And I I just love his passion and his refusal to give up, and the insights he always brings because uh, because of his his experience and wisdom. And I could you know I could count many other people who 
I take inspiration from. Um, who these are the people that society think, you know, what's Wayne got to say? He's unemployed, he's on universal credit, he's had to go to a food bank, he's not got any wisdom to share. Uh, he just needs to sort his life out. And that's just so not true. His life, he knows what needs to change, uh, not just for him, but for you know, for folk in Worthing, for folk nationally. And he's one of those people who brings wisdom if we take the time to listen. And there are, there are people like Wayne in every community. Um, most likely in every church. Um, there's somebody in my church who's disabled and on benefits. And I, I take her to church on a regular basis. And other people in, in church said, oh, we don't want to ask her to talk about her experiences because it will be too hard for her to talk. I can tell you, every time I take her back from church, she talks about uh, her disability, how hard it is. You know, she's got a PIP assessment coming up. Um, what people find hard is hearing what she's got to say. Um, and that's where I think the challenge for those of us that are not poor is to actually see, again, the, the wisdom turned on its head. Um, it's it's the, the, the people who are lowly, the people who don't get the positions of authority, even in our own churches, mm. we've got so much insight and wisdom mm. to share. I think that's a, a great challenge as we're thinking about as we might how we might preach these passages about a challenge to us within our our own churches around uh, who has a voice, uh, whose stories we hear, um, yeah, and being willing to be as you say to be uncomfortable ourselves as those perhaps who are not living in poverty or with uh, challenges that others might be in our congregation. So uh, that's really helpful, um, uh, perhaps challenge for preachers about how they might choose to to focus on these passages. And I think the key thing in, in all of this is it's not about pity for people. Yeah. No, Jesus didn't, never showed pity. Quite often he was, he was quite tough on people um, and asked probing questions, but always respected people for who they were and their story yeah. and saw the wisdom that people could bring through that interaction. Um, and that's where I think it's the biggest challenge, because this, again, is very countercultural, that we're told so often it's about showing um, showing you know, compassion for the needy. And the language itself is, is disempowering of people. Mm. Um, we all have needs, but we all have hopes and aspirations. And for ourselves and, and our communities and wisdom um, and it, it's seeing people as as sources of wisdom and truth um, and mm -hmm. even those are difficult to hear um, the insights and and the joy and the good news when when i hear somebody speaking out um i was going to share um there's a poem we've got a whole book of poems and prayers a lot written by people in poverty uh, one of whom is um, Amanda, who kind of works with ATD, Fourth World, who are a partner of ours. She's had a life of poverty. Um, and 
interestingly, I don't know whether she's a Christian, but she's written a poem about restoring one's soul. To restore one's soul is to have a sense of pride in what you do, to take back control over your own image, to be positive about yourself, your self-respect, your self-worth in everything you do. It's poverty gets you down and humiliated to the extent that you feel ashamed or judged for how you look, how you talk or how you are perceived by others. Because poverty can simply fry your brain then stop for a while. But not just that, she speaks out. And I love this. So the powers that be, take notice of me, sit up and listen to my voice and heed my words that I have to say to you. Because I am not a number, nor am I a commodity that you can push from pillar to post or pick up and drop again when it suits you. Because after all is said and done, I am a person. I am a human being just like you. Because I have a voice too. I will stand up and be counted. You will not silence me. I will not go away. I am here to stay and I will have my say. And that's just so beautiful. That is beautiful. Uh, very powerful and um straightforward telling you what you know where she's at and what she wants and that's yeah very powerful so what's that book of poems just so we can give it a little plug uh dignity agency and power it's an anthology we produced for church action and property's 40th anniversary last year so stories prayers worship resources um poems like that lots of poems like that um and i'd well i'd i love it um and I love it because when I you know, come on things like this, it's other people's stories. And uh, now Amanda is the, the star of the show today. Next week, it could be Penny. There's so many wonderful voices and insights. Um, and poetry is a wonderful way of, of people getting their voice. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. Well, that's great. I'll just certainly be going out and getting that myself. And I'm sure plenty of others will. As you say, it's a way of, of hearing the voices um, of those that we don't always hear isn't it so that's great uh any anything else that you wanted to pull out we've not touched uh, explicitly on the Zechariah passage which is fine but I didn't know if there was anything in there that you wanted particularly well, uh just the reference in Zechariah to you see the king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey mm. um and that obviously you know for most of us that will take us to the uh the passion story uh, that Jesus himself didn't choose uh, a path of glory. Well, not in conventional sense. Um, no, the, the point is the donkey is the lowly animal. And for me, that was so, that's so symbolic of where Jesus placed his ministry uh, alongside people on the margins. Uh, himself, he was lowly. You know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't one of the Pharisees or Sadducees. He came from, small you know small backwards town and then had the temerity to pick up in the capital and tell them that you know they got it wrong um but in a in a way with humility um and the symbol of being on a donkey that you know the the power and wealth doesn't convey uh the truth of you know the truths of 
uh, of Christianity. Mm. It's it's through the symbols and lives of the lowly again. Mm -hmm. um, and that, um, and of course, you know that that's what took Jesus to um, into conflict, um, into mm. conflict, and you know, ultimately he lost his life. Um, and in a sense, it's not the same, but the struggle of, of people like Amanda and Wayne uh, that, that refuse to give up do, in the with everything going on in their lives, actually are willing to challenge injustice at, you know, at personal cost. Um, that always humbles me. Um, that if people that are the lowliest are willing to do that, uh, I've had a comfortable life. No, so so much more than I feel the responsibility to be in solidarity with people. Um, um, to metaphorically ride my own donkey. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> are we all choosing to ride our metaphorical donkeys? That's great. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Neil, for being with us. I, just as we sort of come towards the end, I always like to ask people if there's if they said everything that they wanted to. You know, is there something that you kind of really wanted to make sure that you'd said or a message you wanted to make sure you got across that you've not had an opportunity to say? Uh, now's the moment if there's anything that you really wanted to make sure you said in our conversation. I think I think the one the thing I really do want to finish on, it, you know, we touched on the news at the start. The news, uh, you know, the news in the world is awful. Uh, wherever you look, it's depressing. Uh, we talk about not just uh, one crisis, but uh, a kind of constant crisis. Um, but actually, I want to finish with a message of hope. Um, in my twenty-five years doing this job, I you know, people say, "How do you keep? How do you keep going?" And it is because the inspiration of people who are themselves struggling. Uh, and because whenever I go back to these kind of passages, this is this is what the gospel is about. Good news to the poor in, in a genuine sense. Um, people are uh, who are struggling are the source of hope for me. Um, that they will not give up, that they will not be uh, denied their voice that they have a positive, hopeful vision of a world that they want to live in, in spite of everything. And that that's what sustains me, and I think can sustain all of us. Um, but you know, another, another world is possible, um, and it's up to us to bring it into reality. Well, that seems like a... A really wonderful, hopeful message uh, to just finish our conversation on. So, Neil, uh, Neil Cooper uh, from Church Action Poverty, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom and your reflections with us uh, today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you uh, as well to uh, the rest of you who are joining us uh, to listen or to see uh, whether and to ask the questions of whether or how we should preach politics in the pulpits this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We have some online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics. You can find us on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. 
And we also have a Facebook group, which you can access through the Facebook page of the Droid Public Issue Teams. And of course, don't forget, there's the website, jpit.uk. That's J-P-I-T dot U-K. Uh, the question that we're leaving you with from this week's episode is, uh, how do we live out our desire to do right? And how do we build relationships with all of those in our communities and churches, especially those who are the poorest? Uh, and to uh, finish with that wonderful question of, are we riding our metaphorical donkeys? Well, this is the last episode in this series of Politics in the Pulpit. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with a new host in the autumn. Uh, so please do continue to engage with the Joint Public Issues team's work over the summer. Uh, there's lots of ways you can do that. Uh, but don't forget our other podcast, 10 Minutes On, while we're away. But for now, let's go into our politics and our pulpits with a blessing. May God keep you in all your days. May Christ shield you in all your ways. May the Spirit bring you healing and peace. And may the Holy Trinity drive all darkness from you and pour, pour upon you blessing and light. Amen. <laughs>